really I'm really annoyed because I, I bought a new mic. I got a I got a Rode mic because Rode seems to be one of the go-to brands, and uh, it, it arrived today, but I, it's not good. I don't like it. This this is a this is like a, a is that Yeti. a Rode? What's that? It's a Yeti. A Yeti. Yeah, yeah Yeti's Yeti. another another popular brand. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, this one's this one's a pseudotac. I don't know if you've heard of pseudotac. I don't think it's a very big brand, but I mean, it's it's actually all right. It's a pretty decent mic, but I wanted to get an upgrade, and so I, I ordered a Rode, and it, it costs like three times the amount of this, and it's not as good. It's really mm. annoying. <laughs> Do you, is it uh, aimed in the right direction? They are very directional. Yeah, it's a, it's a condenser mic, so I've got it pointed in the right direction. Okay. But it just seems really flat. Like this one has like a better. It's got more warmth to it, a bit more bass to it. Um, and that yeah, one's I like really flat. That. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I prefer it with a bit more warmth, and and that one's yeah, it's 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 just not the same. So I'm gonna have to send it back, which is so annoying. I wanted to try out a new posh studio mic for uh, for this talk, but this one what seems are you to be using doing alright for a webcam. Oh, just just the the Max webcam. It's terrible. It's I need to upgrade the camera situation, and so many people are saying that. Like, please upgrade your camera situation. But it's like, I'm you know, using the Logi C922 Pro. That's it. Looks good. Use. It looks good. It's nice yeah. and clear. It's definitely a lot more clearer than mine. Um, yeah. So I need to need to step up my camera game at some point. I know people keep telling me to do that, so I do apologize. <laughs> But um, yeah, so you know we're um, we're getting into a few things tonight. It's all kind of tying together. We're talking about the World Economic Forum, uh, you know, the Great Reset, technology, automation, uh, transhumanism, um, and joining me to talk about all of this is Mikai Morin. Mikai provides individualized advice for the aerospace and deep tech sectors, as well as for legislators on policy initiatives regarding the critical importance of automation preparedness. So. What what do you see right now when, when you're looking at the global power structures, you're looking at technological trends and social trends, political trends, we're in, a, we're in an incredibly volatile moment geopolitically and economically. And I think, to be honest, most important and probably the root issue that causes a lot of those other ones to manifest, we're in a very volatile moment psychologically, um, you know, huge political and social divides that have been stimulated by legacy media, enhanced by modern algorithmic landscapes on social media. So how are you looking at the global stage of politics, economics, technology, and where do you think it's all heading? Sure. Thanks again uh, for having me back, Jay. I really oh, you're appreciate most welcome. it. Always love talking to you. I'm excited to talk, talk about these topics. This is... Uh, certainly something i'm more knowledgeable about um it's something i do day to day politically the the division is is a product of creation um especially here in the us the the structured division has almost become a political necessity to kind of drive this uh this narrative of duality, this Republican versus Democrat, um, it's false. Nobody fits in those ideological boundaries. Nobody that I know, everybody has belief systems that uh, extend beyond where they're supposed to be regarding this this, uh, dual system. Um, So this partisanship, it's created in hopes of, uh, it's a tool of control. It's with division, you separate your population into kind of 
systems that are against each other, but as an economic standpoint, you know, we're all doing the same things. We're all paying bills, we're all purchasing. But ideologically, there's nothing more fearful that a government would want than an entire population unified. This is basic, you know, administration of large governments. This has been going on since Rome. And so this is nothing new. However, it's become a runaway train in that uh, mainstream media is really pushing this this narrative of of division. Um, before we get going, I'm going to kind of describe my my ideological standpoint, my political where I stand, just so people aren't uh, labeling me and boxing me later on in the comments section. So I consider myself a conscious capitalist. So that means. I believe in capitalism, I believe in the free market, but I believe the free market and capitalism uh, should work for the betterment of society and civilization as a whole. What we're seeing now is a transition in, well, we've been seeing it for some time into this parasitic capitalist kind of global uh, control where wealth distribution has taken place at scales that uh, no one had ever, ever anticipated or, or we've seen ever in, in humanity. So this wealth distribution occurs through parasitic capitalism. That's capitalism that's left to uh, its own devices and own rules and regulations. And it's gobbling up the wealth of large uh, communities, large populations and consolidating that into just a few uh, people, a few companies. I'm actually working on a project now that um, identifies the corporate structure of, of uh, the US government and, and US corporate entities in that uh, we can see how only a handful of companies are owned or vested in in so many of the other companies so it looks like there's this broad definition of corporate structure but in reality there's there's only a handful of these multinationals um, who are controlling a lot a large swath of the capital free market basically so as a conscious capitalist i believe um, capitalism can work it drives innovation i mean the free market is is inherently uh innovative as a company a uh struggles to produce a product or service that is innovative and desirable company b if they want to remain competitive has to one-up them in, in some way and this is how this is how the economy works this is how free market works what we're seeing now is a overlap of, of government and corporate um, kind of hand-holding and uh, back-padding and back-room kind of deals where it destroys this free market innovative uh, trajectory. So companies now, they instead of being innovative, they're more interested in how do we get uh, more political clout? How do we buy and lobby for a better political stance on regulation in that we can 
not only save money, but get subsidies on the top. So a large, a large chunk of revenue, uh, hidden revenue is coming from, from this type of engagement. So that's parasitic capitalism. What we wanna do is move toward a conscious capitalism, which is um, controlled capitalism under certain frameworks that allow for the free market to operate, allow for innovation to flourish, but at the same time do so for the betterment of a civilization or, or global civilization as a whole. Um, I'm certainly left-leaning. Uh, I have a lot of beliefs that go all over the place, and I think that's where people sh should be. Uh, I get wary of people who kind of partisan themselves into one party or another uh, and, and then kind of live in the echo chamber. Well, that's the thing because there's, there's, ben there's benefits to both sides you know there's benefits to uh absolutely both sides and I've, I've always i've always been very confused by this whole right or left you have to decide if this is how you want to live or this is how you want to live because there are shared ideologies uh, throughout culture throughout society throughout humanity so it, it's never really made sense this this type yeah, of bifurcation yeah there's a reason people are leaving political parties by the droves it's because these uh, antiquated uh, systems of belief where you have to fit into these boxes is, is no longer viable and people have access to more information. And, and the best thing I could suggest to your, your listening audience is if you're left-leaning or right-leaning, listen to opposing views. More often than not, maybe one out of 10 of those views might be something you've never heard and it might have some truth that that you you weren't aware of and what you do is you you continually listen to all these different perspectives and then and only then can the true narrative of what's going on come out you'll never get the true story if you're just listening to fox or if you're just listening to cnn or msnbc you'll never get it because it's structured in a yeah. way to keep you from learning the the whole narrative well like, you, well, like you said, we're, we're seeing this incredible shift from, um, and I, I think one of the best things to come out of the past two years uh, is, the, is the slow, well, not the slow, the quite sped up death of legacy media. And, um, you know, you're seeing this massive exodus from legacy media, establishment media to independent journalists, independent researchers, yeah. podcasters. I yeah. mean, obviously, I think most people know about the whole Joe Rogan situation that's going on right now. You've got that whole situation where he has 11 million views per episode. And it's quite clear that the mainstream media is just incredibly jealous of the fact that there is this new player in town that's drawing in such a large audience. So you're seeing the kind of death throes of the legacy media and it's very revealing. And you know, in of, the, in of itself, the very fact that they're having to try so hard right now is making people move away from listening to that type of rhetoric. Uh, you know, people are starting to clue up onto it a whole lot quicker than they were before. Yeah, well, it's no longer news. It's uh, a mouthpiece for whatever political ideology that they're being yeah, financed exactly. for or, or with. Uh, and people know that now. And, and you know, the whole Joe Rogan thing I find completely disturbing. Whether you agree with you know Joe Rogan's guess or not, there's something to be said about the freedom of speech. Um, I don't I don't agree with seventy percent of, of the 
the pundits and analysts out there, but I'm interested in hearing them because that's the only way you can better formulate your own knowledge base. And when you start refining your knowledge base, you, you, you become, you become sheeple and, and, you know, sheeple are easy to control. Uh, and, and that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of the direction uh, that the World Economic Forum would like us all to move toward. Uh, you know, that's a good segue into what you wanted to talk, talk about. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, World Economic Forum. Yeah. Prior to the pandemic, um, the United Nations and the World Economic Forum, um, you know, they signed a, they signed a deal to accelerate the sustainable development goals of, uh, what was called the UN agenda 21 or agenda, agenda 2030. Um, you know, and they, they moved incredibly quickly and, and efficiently in implementing that agenda through, let's be honest, a very conveniently timed pandemic that allowed them uh, the necessary space to to streamline and openly call for what they're referring to as a great reset. So, I mean, are you, because the thing is, a lot of people who are listening to this, they'll know about the great reset, but I want to make sure just for people that are tuning in that have no idea what we're really talking about. Um, maybe they've heard of the World Economic Forum, but they're not too sure with what's going on. Are you able to just kind of break down what the World Economic Forum is and what the Great Reset is? There's a lot of ground to cover there, but um, I, yeah. feel, I feel like that's probably a good place to start. Let's just get the basics set in order. Sure, sure. The, the World Economic Forum is uh, basically news speak for those of you familiar with Orwellian and, and <laughs> kind of uh, literature. It's, uh, it's not a forum at all. A forum denotes a public kind of interaction and discussion of ideas for the betterment of that populace. So the World Economic Forum is a basically a think tank for the world's most powerful corporate entities and individuals to kind of share uh, what they're working on, uh, uh, do back backhand deals that are outside the public uh, purview, outside of media purview. While they do invite news and media, uh, they're typically signed to NDAs. So what value that that there is and that is lost on me. The World Economic Forum states that it, you know, it's a place for leaders to help better improve the lives of all of us. That sounds great on the surface, but within five minutes of anyone digging into it, you start to peel away the, the outer layers quickly. Uh, it, the World Economic Forum is made up of the world's most powerful uh, corporate entities and, and business political leaders, uh, billionaires. And while on the surface, that's not necessarily a bad thing. What, what is disturbing is that when you really start to break down the World Economic Forum, you have represented all the major health consortiums, uh, you know, <laughs> who in the last years have seen massive swaths of their, of their staff go on strike due to reductions in both salary and benefits. You have the world's largest banking institutions uh, that have repeatedly screwed over customers with shady business practices, uh, brought the global economy to near collapse several times. 
and lobbied world governments to bail them out with taxpayer money. You have the largest chemical and petroleum cartels, the same companies that lobby for government subsidies, ignore environmental laws, and have successfully halted you know, alternative energy sources for the last century. You have the world's largest defense contractors uh, who make money when countries are purchasing war-related war technologies, uh, equipment, and require wartime advisement. Uh, so less war is literally the antithesis of their business plan. So how they could be involved in something to better humanity is it's 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 stupid. It's, well, if, if you leave so all of that other, if you leave all of that other stuff aside, we're just trying to benefit humanity, is what they're what they're basically saying. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you have you have all the world's tech giants, you know, who make money off collecting all of our data and selling it to any interested party. They don't really care, uh, willing to pay handsomely for it. Uh, most people don't realize the world's largest traded commodity right now is data. It's no longer oil. And it's not material, it's it's data. So, you know, when you think of your self-value, you're very valuable, uh, more so than you've ever been in history, because your data that surrounds you is of tremendous value. And we give it away for free. Why? Because we don't have an option. We have no way to sell our own data. I'm working with companies now that are trying to change that. But as of now, you know, we don't have a say. So these tech giants who lobby governments and, and you know sell our data to the government that we they pay for with our own tax money, figure, figure that out. And then you have you know big pharma, the companies who regularly control media through you know sponsorship. I'm sure many of you have seen the clips of Pfizer sponsoring every. Oh my goodness! Media I, program. This, this, this is something uh, actually because this is a real uh, cu cultural difference between our countries. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we don't get that ever. It, mm -hmm. it, it's funny because you'll you'll see you'll see very subtle advertising of that kind of stuff in terms of uh, oh these are our corporate sponsors. But that montage of every single news platform in America sponsored yeah. by Pfizer, sponsored by Pfizer. Good Morning America is brought to you by Pfizer. CBS Health Watch sponsored by. Pfizer. Anderson Cooper 360. Brought to you by Pfizer. ABC News Nightline. Brought to you by Pfizer. Making a difference. Brought to you by Pfizer. CNN Tonight. Brought to you by Pfizer. Early start. Brought to you by Pfizer. Friday night on Aaron Burnett out front. Brought to you by Pfizer. This week with George Stephanopoulos is brought to you by Pfizer. This weather report brought to you by Pfizer. Today's countdown to the royal wedding is brought to you by Pfizer. And now a CBS Sports update brought to you by Pfizer. Meet the press. Data download. Brought to you by Pfizer. This portion of CBS This Morning sponsored by Pfizer. On how to find the hidden sugars in the American family diet. Sponsored by Pfizer. It's uh, it's it's really concerning, and I think what's concerning as well is is the the fact that some people don't think it's concerning. Yeah, well, I mean, you're always going to have people who are comfortable in their boxes, and that's fine. Uh, what pro what the problem is is when when the threshold of too many people who are comfortable, that's when we've lost everything. Uh, you know, we're at the whim of the World Economic Forum. Uh, 
So some of the other parties involved in the World Economic Forum, we just listed most of the big ones, but then you have individual billionaires, uh, the tycoons with billion dollar yachts and mansions across the world, yet they claim to understand the woes of people like us who you know work day to day or check to check or have families, which is ridiculous. And then powerful politicians from all over the world who, you know, if you really think about it, the only way to become a powerful politician is through lying, through the good fortune of families you were born into, uh, luck of birth, lobbying, and corporate donorship. That's, that's what politics is. Anyone who doesn't understand that will never understand politics. So that's what makes up the World Economic Forum. Now you compare that list, that member list with their alleged mission and you immediately see some very glaring discrepancies in, uh, in this authenticity that doesn't exist. It's, it's intended to be altruistic and they have that famous video which they no longer push out, but it, it you know, you will own nothing and you will be happy. I can't think of a more dystopian kind of uh, statement. Yeah. So for, for people that aren't aware, there was a video that was put out, which was, I think it was like 10 things to expect in 2030 or something like that. <laughs> and it was like a montage list. It was put out by the World Economic Forum. And it's pretty much impossible to find the video now online. They've they've made a good uh, good effort of censoring that, but it's uh, it still exists in the form of screenshots. And I'm sure there probably still is a video out there. But one of the one of the ten things that you can expect by 2030 is that you will own nothing and you'll be happy. And it was just this kind of image of a guy smiling, like, oh, you know, I'm I'm so happy that I own absolutely nothing, but somehow it's owned by someone who is probably a lot more wealthier than me and is leasing it to me so that sounds like a fantastic idea and uh yeah that backfired pretty pretty quickly with the uh with the internet age and the uh you know the response online was was very intense and they've made a good effort of removing that but yeah uh, that was one of the things that they said you'll uh, you'll own nothing by 2030 and and you'll be happy about it that's that's their mission for their uh their great reset um which is their plan to uh redistribute wealth throughout the world, which when you look at the member list again, what does that mean exactly? Uh, redistribute wealth throughout the world for the betterment of us, because last time I checked, all of our problems that we face as individuals have stemmed from these very institutions of power that are part of the World Economic Forum. And I'm supposed to believe that all of the sudden uh, they were hit with the altruism uh, dart from from Cupid or something. Yeah. Uh, so you know it it's it's so transparent if you just spend five seconds to think about it. And I think most people who, you know, even just self-educated, not not even institutionally educated, but just self-educated, sees that this is just it. It's not only wrong; it's it's creepy. It, uh, it's probably one of the most bizarre forces of, of or flexing of power I've, I've seen in my life. Uh, it, you know, I don't know what to do about it aside from educate myself and, you know, to, to tell people and teach people uh, what what the World Economic Forum really is. You know, 
I'm expected to be on board with the World Economic Forum as, as a business person myself. Um, several of my colleagues just take it at face value. And, and it, it's, you can't, you can't take things at face value because then you're blindly uh, pushing their agenda and that's not gonna be good for anybody, small businesses included. Yeah, have you have you tried to have these discussions with your with your kind of colleagues in business and within your sector, and or, or do you just try and avoid this type of conversation? So I'll tell you a little history. When I started doing consulting, I was very excited to to get some big contracts with uh, some of the U.S. defense companies and bigger nationals because uh, it, it was a big deal for me. It, it made me feel as though I had succeeded and I was intelligent enough. Over time, I realized that I was working to an end that actually didn't benefit me or my family or those around me. And uh, so I kind of changed my, my own business strategy. I only work with... Uh, ventures and companies that I feel, based on my own belief, uh, have missions that coincide with my own. So conscious capitalists, and it's a growing trend. It, there, there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there with, with like minds trying to build businesses that only not only make money, because that's the goal of a business, right? But to make money in, an, in, a, in a way that helps uh, help civilization, uh, you know, and, and you can do this, this can be done. It, it doesn't need to be the way that it is. If your product is good enough, and your service is good enough, you can make money and still do good. So I've changed my strategy. And I work with just those types of companies, executives, individuals, and I, I'm doing okay. And, and these companies I've worked with are doing quite well. So, you know, that's the proof it, it can be done. So that's the best way. And, and I understand that a lot of your listeners probably just based on statistics, probably work for some of these large companies. I mean, they employ most of the world, most of the Western world, at least. So, you know, just because you work for one of these companies, it doesn't mean you have to ideologically fit into your company's uh, belief system. So I just want people to know that just check yourself when you get defensive about somebody, you know, shitting on your company because they've done something very unethical. Just remember, you're there for a paycheck and, and to, you know, make your career into something uh, to that company, you're nothing. You, you're literally a replaceable unit. Um, and, and you can see this timing for people who change jobs. You know, how much do you think that last job you had really cares that you left? Unless it's a small business, they don't care at all. You're just, uh, it's an expense because onboarding is expensive, uh, but that's being automated, actually, yeah. <laughs> that whole system. Well, I, th I think a lot of that type of work where you are 
extremely replaceable um you know very much just a cog in the machine i think that's driving so much of the mental health crisis as well you know people i think most people do want to feel like they're contributing something meaningful through the, the you know the activities that they give most of their energy to i mean you, you know you're spending yeah. a large portion of your day at these places doing these jobs and if you're just doing something that's repetitive and obviously i understand that some people it's really it's it's tough there's a lack of choice but that's not their fault that comes down to the system and how it's managed and the fact that we can't provide meaningful employment meaningful jobs for people on a wide scale you know that is important and uh, we have so such a lack of this especially within kind of like you know the corporate sector and you know you, all you've got to do is look at the way amazon warehouse workers are treated or any other types of issues putting suicide nets in Ch Ch chinese iphone workshops and and things like that yeah. you know th yeah. this this is screaming at us that there is a massive problem with the way that we organize our work routine and our work um structure yeah the you know that brings up the deplatforming movement, you know, the, the iPhone workers, employees wanting to kill themselves because <clears throat> they're made to do singular tasks tens of thousands of times a, a week. That That's psychological torture. But then you have uh, all these people screaming to deplatform whoever doesn't fit their ideological stance using iPhones or using, <laughs> yeah. you know, gas to pump yeah. in their car. I don't see them deplatforming Apple. I don't see them deplatforming their car company. You have we have to stop with this deplatforming censorship nonsense. It uh it does no good. If you don't believe in in something, engage. It, engage in a meaningful way, not emotionally, but intellectually. Or just simply don't listen. Uh, if it's not for you, don't listen. Are we going to start deplatforming ice cream flavors that we find offensive? I mean, so there's something for everybody in this world, and we all improve when we have exposure to as much stuff as possible. Uh, I, I really think this deplatforming thing is is an agenda that's kind of being drawn out to mitigate the amount that we take in as a society, as a civilization. Too much information uh, can cause a unity, uh, and unity is not something any government truly wants, despite what they say on the surface. No government has ever wanted unification of their population. Why is that? Well, that's their greatest threat. Yeah, <laughs> that's unification power. of the population would cause, you know, pretty much by necessity, a realization that we don't need of governments. Course. Yeah, this isn't this isn't some like crazy radical, you know, thought process. This is just basic. This is basic reality. This is basic historical patterns. Uh, this is not complicated. So when we see like, why is everybody so divided? We're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be divided. That's the intent. Divide and conquer. Uh, divide and, and placate. Mm. Really, um, I mean, we have Nancy Pelosi again. For those left-leaning, I'm also left-leaning. That doesn't mean I like Nancy Pelosi. So we have Nancy Pelosi, who's made a fortune yeah, off insider so, stock yeah, trading, yeah. now backpedaling and pretending that uh, she's going to push this bill uh, to to stop um, insider trading. It's it's 
it's bogus. I mean, this sort of she's she's running again. She needs to be able to hit her demographic. This is what I try to tell people all the time that politicians at that level. Yeah, there's maybe a few actually altruistic politicians, but I'll tell you right now, they're not su successful and they never will be because you cannot win uh, in that game through altruism. Look at no, Bernie well, Sanders. That, Look at Andrew Yang. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's not built that way. And exactly. so when you have Mitch Mitch McConnell's, Nancy Pelosi's, they don't care about the ideology of their party one bit. It's whoever their constituents are, they will pander toward them, whatever so, means. So how do how do we change that? Because like you said, it's systemic. It's literally the it way system. that system operates. It's not so much that mm -hmm. you know everyone who goes into politics is a terrible person. It's like you said, there's a filtering. No. It's a filtering process where it's like, how much are you willing to do to get up to the top? And the people who have a moral compass, the people who have genuine ethics, they don't fit through that tiny little filter because they'll never get through. they'll never get committee seats no they'll never get the, exactly and so you know I, what do we what what can be done about that abs absent literally tearing down the entire system i mean if if i knew i i i, I would run for, for president <laughs> well that's it I, yeah. I i don't know um I've gotten good at seeing the patterns, but I, I have no idea how we disrupt this cycle. Uh, e even if the U.S. Uh, were to suddenly change um, and lose its power status, and you know we changed our entire system, you, you just have China who would pick it back up. You have, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, anybody else. So I don't know. I, I don't know what we can do as a people. So you have all these um, protests going on over the pandemic. And I'm not sure if you know, but in the US, they barely cover it on the yeah. news. So nobody oh, same, in the same, US same here. Real, same here. Yeah, they don't show you any of it, Not none of it. And they're more concerned about Joe Rogan, who's not a news person. He's a fucking comedian. And he has a talk show, but they're so concerned about you know his identity politics and not about the pending war that the our administration is is pushing on to the ukraine who doesn't even want it yeah yeah uh, they don't even cover that so it's like how do we make change when the instruments that would aid us are already being used they're already controlled. So we have to come up with new instruments. But then every time we do that, they get controlled. So I'm not sure how we do this. And I guess we just keep informing ourselves. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. You just got to keep talking about it and spreading awareness. I, th I think, you know, in the face of something so huge as individuals, that really is all we can do is gather information and try and get it out there to as many people as possible. And over time, these types of things can have the impact that we hope we hope them um, to have. But it's 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 extremely it is extremely difficult. You know, I, I, I genuinely have a sense of optimism. It's not based in hard facts. It's more based just in I have like an intuitive feeling that this might just be part of a process of 
you know, like a necessary evil. We've got to get through this type of uh, transition period in the human story, and it requires certain stresses, certain types of strains on society. And, you know, we are seeing that. I mean, despite the fact that there is a genuine technocratic uh, and very authoritarian uh, vibe going around the world, pretty much, um, there is a tremendous amount of resistance to it. I mean, like you were just saying about the protests, I mean, we've in Canada right now, They've shut down Ottawa completely for 12 days. They yeah. blocked the American-Canadian <clears throat> border. Um, and, and they're actually stimulating change in their country right now. Um, you know, Prime Minister Trudeau's hiding away, but they are starting in different areas of Canada to implement changes. So it's it, it, it makes me think that ultimately humanity will win out. I think ultimately humanity will win out. And what we consider to be our most basic fundamental rights and uh, and desires and passions will win out. But I think that we might be on a turbulent journey. And I think that there could be genuine stresses and catalysts that might be required in order for us to kind of develop and move on. I mean, I, I always look at it within the framework of my own life, obviously, because it's the only thing I can draw from my own personal experiences. And I look at how life and this seems to work for everyone else. I look at the way that there are ups and downs. And a lot of the time, even though at the time when you're experiencing them, those downs feel awful. And, and, and sometimes you can't even understand why it's happening in retrospect, in hindsight, you look back, you realize it was a growing period. You realize it made you stronger in a certain way. And I, I, I try to think that perhaps that's what's happening on a global scale is that we're having bad moments in the human experience. And that's just a part of growing and strengthening. But it is difficult when you can't focus on a specific how do we solve this problem type of scenario. Um, all I have is a sense of optimism that can't be placed on anything specific. I guess it's just hope. <laughs> you know, it's just hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's nothing wrong with hope. Unfortunately, hope doesn't in, in institute change, uh, action institutes change. But, you know, the more we progress into the future, action is becoming more and more difficult. Here in the US, it's hard to protest uh, without being smeared as, so we had, we had protests about, um, defunding the police. And then we had protests uh, with Trump. Both of those protests were slandered as anti-democratic, anti-government, um, and, and just, you know, attacked in a way that they were terrorists. Uh, yeah, there's bad actors on both sides. And there's, there's actually, <laughs> there's uh, evidence that, you know, some of these protests were, were drummed up intentionally, but yeah, I, I don't want to yeah. get into that. Mm. Um, so it's like, if we can't protest anymore, all of our news is controlled, all of our data is tracked, and we are financially pinched so that we don't want to, we're, we've become extremely risk averse because we have, we live on such a tight rope uh, collectively. Um, no one wants to risk their family and their house and, and everything that they need uh, because of a belief. So it's easier to just continue your job, shut your mouth, watch your taxes increase, watch those taxes go to companies and not spent on you uh, or your family or anything else, and just continue the march toward whatever end there is. 
So, you know, even though a lot of us are becoming more aware, we, I don't think we have tools yet to act or, or, or act on our awareness to make change in a significant way. Well, it's, it's, it's certainly difficult when you're navigating within the infrastructure that's set up to stop you from doing right. that. Um, you know, yeah. so I guess, I guess maybe like breakaway small civilizations, you know, maybe we have to all set up yeah. communes and, and live in, uh, in little, uh, little I, communities or I something. Guess. Where would you get the land? You'd have to buy it from a government who would, you know, control it. Right. And, and, you know, the, we, we know that a few of these billionaires like, uh, Bill Gates has been buying up huge, large, swaths. Land, large swaths yeah. of land. Uh, you know, I yeah. can't even, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I'll have something go, go up on screen about it or I'll put a link because yeah. there's some articles it's, on this. It, it's, it's significant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you also have billionaires who are building, um, large, mansions and, and underground bunkers mm -hmm. in other countries and you know you don't do that unless you feel threatened or unless you're informed i guess you could if you have that much disposable income why not i mean you want to ensure your your own livelihood but uh i i find that it, those are warning signs those are signs that there's turbulence behind the scenes more than we're aware of uh, yeah, yeah. Putting in a plan of action and uh, being prepared for future outcomes—it it, it certainly seems like there is that level of preparation. Um, going back to the World Economic Forum, Great Reset groups like the Forum—they they have deep ties to China. Um, and you know, the Economic Forum CEO Klaus Schwab has openly admired China's societal oh, models. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got a strong relationship yeah. with Xi Jinping. <laughs> um, there seems Every to be like government a... idolizes China's uh well, government model. Right, right. But I, I guess I guess specifically within the vein of the World Economic Forum, do you think that they're basically looking at uh you know the social and economic and political models in China and that they want to implement that on a wider scale um globally? Absolutely. Yeah. I think the U.S. the U.S. would they they you know we have to have enemies. We're a war war born nation. Our economy is so tied to the war machine. I mean, we went just a couple months without a war before we have to get back into one. Uh, our inflation is our our observed inflation is so high that you know having wars is a necessity for the American economy. So, you know, we have China as our enemy, Russia as our enemy, but in reality, the American government really would love to institute some of the Chinese tactics of governing, uh, despite what they say about communism and, and whatever. Uh, the, you know, the, if, if left unabated, the U.S. government, the U.K. government, any of the big governments would would really adopt this, these methodologies. In fact, the UK is, is quite prevalent in surveillance, uh, more so than the US actually, which uh, I find disturbing, uh, you know, and, and that type of surveillance is always touted as, as defense and, and first foot forward and defending your nation and whatever. It isn't. The NSA isn't for defense. It's for administration control, um, observation. 
that that's what it is. <laughs> like you, you, th you think that a trillion dollar budget is worthy of, you know, like four or five uh, bad actors who could come in and do some bad things. I don't, you know, I, I, I hate the fact that we could be terrorized at any moment, but we have to look at why people want to terrorize us. We, we have done some incredibly horrible things in the last century and not just us, I mean the Western world in general. Look at Spain's history, UK's history, American history, uh, Germany. Uh, we've, we've done some conquering. We've done some uh, world administering. We've meddled in other countries' governments. We've uh, controlled narratives. We've basically spread out like a, a slime mold. And uh, it, it's no wonder countries have bad actors and, and don't don't like us. I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but I also don't want to see this uh, defense architecture built on, you know, fake narratives, uh, which which is what we see on paper. Our defense budget is insane, but I'm sure it's double or triple what it actually is if you account for everything else involved. Uh, you know, Lockheed on paper, I think, brings has like $65 billion revenue. But I know for a fact that their most recent jet platform costs US taxpayers over $1.3 trillion. So I, I have a hard time in settling with the, the revenue of these yeah. companies versus the actual money flow, which is what we should all look at. And like I said earlier, I've been working on this side project and I've been adding up the, the subsidiaries of some of these major companies and adding up. Some of them have 30, 40, 50 subsidiaries. It's, it's mind boggling. And those companies have subsidiaries of their own. When you start to add up the revenues of those, it's way higher than what their um, stated revenues are. So, you know, you have this observed revenue when you start to really look at the numbers flowing in versus what they put on paper. And meanwhile, none of them pay taxes. They all utilize tax loopholes that they lobbied for, uh, you know, paid for campaign financing to get these special, you know, tax loopholes. So they're using our infrastructure and our roads and, you know, electrical systems and then paying nothing in taxes. In fact, a lot of the times we as a country end up paying them in tax subsidies because they say they, on paper, make nothing in the US. They'll say, you know, we have a deficit in the United States because we do our booking in a different country uh, where we have all our profits. And so since we have a deficit, you as the US government based on these tax systems have to pay us and so that's what we're seeing. This wealth consolidation, this parasitic capitalism is occurring, and that can only last for so long. Uh, right now, they're saying the inflation rate is about 7.5%. I can tell you right now, that's utter bullshit. The actual observed inflation rate is probably around 15%. 
Now keep in mind in the 70s when we had the economic collapse there with OPEC and oil and, and inflation, it was around 14%. So we're probably higher than we were at that point. So we're really getting by on false narratives. <laughs> Really, truly, if they were to make public, you know, actual figures, I think we would have a, a pretty large collapse. I, I think we are in the midst of one and we just don't know it yet. And how far down the line do you think it will be until we start to realize it's happening? Well, I mean, most uh, most good natured economic uh, you know, economists and, and analysts they'll tell you the same thing I just told you. We're, we're already there. It's just the U.S. government and the Fed come up with these methods to continually kick the can down the road, printing more money. Mm. Um, but eventually that won't work. I don't know how long we can do it. Every time they do it, I'm like, they can't do it again. And they do it again. But it's, it's not sustainable. Um, money and income is, is, uh, it's not really worth anything anymore because there's no backing. Do you think we're in the middle of basically the collapse of the Western power structure and maybe now it's China's turn? Is there anything we can actually do to stop that kind of thing from happening? I've never spoken publicly on, on this belief, but, uh, I actually do. I don't know if we're in the middle, but if you look at it as a exponential curve, I would say we're at the base of the curve. Um, and what we're seeing uh, is this scrambling effect to kind of, it's like if you're falling off a cliff, you're, mm -hmm. you're scrambling really fast, really rapidly yeah. to, to try to catch yeah, that's how it feels. pull yourself up, but inevitably, that cliff is coming, gravity's force will, will pull you down. And I think that's, that's what we're seeing. I mean, China and Saudis hold so much US bonds, it's <laughs> at any point they could cash in on those and we'd be flat, we'd be flat broke. Uh, we are flat broke, but again, like it's invisible finance, it's made up, it, it's, it's, it's all made up. It, so, so I don't do know how better to say that. Do you think that we're li quite literally not in a position to be able to challenge China with its desires uh, on like a global scale? No, 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 no. We, Ch China can at any point sanction us. And this is something people don't realize. The U.S. sanctions, blah, blah, blah. U.S. sanctions. At any point, China or Russia or any other country or within the U.N. could, you know, propose to sanction us because we don't make good on some debt bonds or we don't do something uh you know i'm not i'm not an economist there's so much to know in global economics um i don't presume to know how everything works but i, I have an idea and a basic understanding that uh china's already won i'm going to get a lot of patriots that are going to shit all over me for saying that but they've already won it if we follow any statistical trend, whether it be government or economic, technological, e efficiency, 
all the trends point to China uh, as as leading, and it's only a matter of time before, you know, they they want to act upon that. They're smart. They they take their time. They're in a long term plan. They they've been doing this for a long time. That's the difference. China works in long term strategy, whereas us in the Western world we're very short sighted. It's the next war. It's the next election. It's the next uh, fiscal year. That's how we see things, and that's why we've lost. And and also, I think because of the fact that within China, you know, even the billionaires and even the massive companies have to toe the line with the government. They're basically connected to each other by the hip. It, it, it's different here. Obviously, there is still move, movement. Uh, uh, you know, a relative amount of freedom in how you use your influence and your money. Obviously, there are still a lot of stresses, I imagine, once you get up to the upper echelons of power to align yourself with certain interests. But at the same time, I think with China, what, what's different is that it moves as an autonomous system. It's, it's, it's a singular entity, essentially. And you know, the citizens within that country have to operate within that because of the way in which their government is structured. It's a, it's a authoritarian dictatorship. You know, yeah. you can't, you can't talk out about it. You can't, you can't dissent and you can't complain. So I think <clears throat> that's, that's a big difference as well is that they, there isn't, there isn't a huge opposition or resistance that can happen within China. So they do move as a single entity. Yeah. That's an efficient model. I mean, we're, we're, we're trending toward an author. It's more like a corporate, corporate uh, authoritarianism kind of mashup mm-hmm. uh, here in the U.S. So you, you have this, this space where it's not a dictatorship um, because our president never has any true power. It's yeah. The power is all in the Senate and the House, mostly the Senate in, here in the U.S. And the president is, is just a generally a bumbling figurehead. I mean, Obama was very smart, but even he didn't really get much done. I mean, he got the NSA funded quite well. Yeah, transferred Um, a bit of money up. Transferred quite a bit of money uh, and is still enjoying that money now. Uh, You know, and and I voted for Obama. That doesn't mean I didn't, I, I, I like him. It means that the alternatives they present to us are purposefully garbage. Uh, We have a intellectual wealth in this country that's probably never been seen in the history of man. And yet our leadership is is a joke. I mean, we've had Trump and Biden, two, two men who are way past their time, who have no concept of modern reality, uh, and these are the people meant to represent our country moving forward. No. It's they're, no, it's no not. better they're, over here. Boris Johnson, yeah. we're all in the same boat. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Boris Johnson's. We're all in the same <laughs> boat. <laughs> he's been partying it up during uh, the pandemic oh. lockdowns. I saw you guys were in My arms gosh. about that. Yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's that's pretty much the only thing that's been on the news for the past few months is uh, is the number 10 Downing Street parties. I mean, you know, I, I you mean the rules that we have to abide by. Yeah, yeah, you know those those people? those rules that stop me from seeing my grandparents at Christmas, stopping missed... you from visiting dead. Dying yeah, my 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 stepdad missed his father's funeral. Yeah. Had to watch it on yeah. Zoom. Um, you know, yeah, whilst whilst it's... our prime minister was getting pissed in, the, in in what is essentially the yeah. White House. It's the White House in the UK, number ten. So you know, 
Yeah, I find I find uh, actually that specific policy where uh, people are not allowed to visit dying relatives as one of the biggest uh, crimes on uh, it's disgusting. humanity. Yeah, it, it, I can't think of anything more heinous. And then you have my my wife is a, a nurse and part of the medical practice now is even if nurses or medical staff test positive, they still have to go to work. But if you want to visit your dying relative, mm -hmm. uh -uh. even if you're a OK. Yeah. So yeah. I, I just find this as a disgusting it breaks my heart actually it, it it's just awful it's yeah yeah awful and then obviously when you ever when you're having these demonstrations of uh the people leading our countries leading um you know obviously having no regard for it it doesn't matter to them rules for thee but not for me that whole situation is just uh very revealing and in in a way i'm actually grateful for it because it has generated a huge amount of uh you know a disdain amongst people that were normally not so anti-establishment or anti-government it's made people realize hang on a second i have had my life put on pause for two years and you know i've had major issues because of that whether it be children and schools whether it be elderly and not yeah. being able to visit relatives all of this and you guys aren't even bothering to uh to to go with the with the rules you're setting so i think that as as terrible as it is that they've done that it's also a good thing because it's just it's just more transparency to the fact that these people are not leaders yeah. they're not the people that should be in control um and and we need to change that and i think that increased transparency is one of the best ways to change it yeah, I mean, the facade is falling. I mean, with all the partisanship going on, more and more people are becoming aware of what's going on. And, uh, you know, and I think that comes from exposure to all sorts of different opinions. And they want you to not listen to alternative opinions. Yeah. They want you to fit yeah. in those boxes and, and do exactly as we've always done. But that's not working anymore. It's not working for at least us in the US where people can't even, I mean, people are living check to check, you know, and I've, I've spoken to people who have moved here from other countries and they had this notion that the US is one of the, is the wealthiest country in the world. And there's so many luxury items and stuff. And then when they get here, they realize the, the American struggle. It's, uh, it, the average family is like three paychecks away from destitution. And that's how most of the country lives. Uh, I don't think people realize that. And here in the US, that means a broken leg. That means a car yeah, accident. Yeah. That means, uh, you know, you get, uh, uh, you need a root canal, but you can't afford it because your dental insurance has a thousand dollar copay or, you know, you, you so this kind of pressure on the person the individual in the us has really helped their control of dissent because people are terrified they, they don't want to lose everything and who who does who wants to play a game of risk with their family not me personally uh, i i don't i don't expect anybody else to in my position what we need is people in positions that uh can afford it can afford to publicly speak against uh the narrative 
we need people who can voice for the rest of us, not another politician, not another mouthpiece. We need true people. That's why I always liked Andrew Yang. Um, I would have voted for him if the DNC didn't uh, deplatform him with the uh, media. They, they intentionally engaged in, in purposefully cutting his speeches out, messing up his name, uh, putting wrong pictures. Uh, and it was intentional because his message really hit home. <laughs> yeah. Look, these social issues that divide us, they're not real. Uh, what's, what is real is the economic catastrophe that is looming and the struggles of individual families. And I actually spoke with members of his uh, management team for his campaign early on about automation and automation preparedness. And, and that's actually what I do as a side project, I don't get paid for that specifically, but I reach out to politicians and try to engage them and inform them on, you know, the looming automation problem, hyper automation. So, so explain uh, that. What is, how, how would you approach these people um, and explain what is hyper automation? Hyper automation. So I reach out, I have, I have a vast network that I've built over the years, um, which includes members of government, politicians, uh, legislative uh, bodies, <clears throat> and I'll, I'll reach out to them through, you know, email or call uh, nine times out of 10, they don't respond. Sometimes I get a response. And basically hyper automation is the point where um, the exponential curve of sectors being automated is unstoppable. It's the point where every new job that's created through automation. So we look at, sorry, I have to backtrack before I go forward. So we look at all the industrial ages that have occurred. Each age has increased efficiencies and each age people were fearful that they were going to lose jobs. Rightfully so, right? Because, you know, these systems became more efficient, so we don't need as many more people. But then, you know, there's always room for other avenues of, of uh, profession or innovation. However, what is fundamentally different about the age of automation is that any jobs that are created are inherently automatable. So any new jobs that come or stem from the age of automation will inherently be automatable. So that literally is hyper automation. It's a feedback loop of automation upon automation where people of any color, blue, white, uh, gold, black, you know, whatever industry or sector you work in, it can be automated. I don't care what you think, everything can be parsed down to one or zero or yes or no. It could take a billion you know, bits to describe your job function, but eventually it can be automated. And now with uh, automated systems, you know, programming for other automated systems, that's when the hyper automation starts to kick in. I expect that this, will come into full fruition within the next 10 years. Uh, and this is based on various trend analysis, uh, uh, data that's coming from all sectors, 
And a lot of the time when analysts look at this data, they're not considering, they, they look at the static data, which is what they get at the moment. They're not considering for innovation on top of that. Innovation um, expands on the rate in which automation occurs. It's like global warming. So we look at the data and we say, oh, we got 50 years, but we don't consider that as things warm, there are processes that will inherently increase the speed at which things warm. So that initial uh, kind of forecast is way off. It's, it's, it's much faster. And same thing with hyper-automation. It, it doesn't seem people are still going through their daily jobs and they see a couple jobs here in this market or sector are getting automated. Yeah, it's fine, but that's how exponential curves work. They start in a horizontal line and then quickly move vertical. We are coming upon the curve, the, the, the steepest part of the curve within the next decade. And at that point, you know, lawyers won't be necessary. Dentists will, you know, they'll still be dentists. All, all these professions will still be there, but the platforms to replace them will start to be integrated. So we have surgeons that have been teaching uh, these hardware platforms how to perform surgeries, uh, very sophisticated, very cool looking uh, and I spoke with a surgeon and, and I explained to him, do you realize you are literally training this machine with data sets that will eventually replace you in a, in a manner that is faster, safer, and more efficient. Uh, and, you know, that's the type of thing we have to consider is that drivers, supply chains, uh, blue collar jobs, any job you can think of can be automated. The only th reason why a job won't be automated is because it won't be cost effective at that moment. Give it enough time. And once something is cost effective, that's when it will be initiated. So, you know, some of the lower wage jobs um, like fast food and stuff, yeah, they may take a little more time, but eventually as, uh, as, any trend increases, efficiency increases, prices drop, uh, they too will be automated. I, there, I have yet to think of a single job that cannot be automated. Can't automate my job, buddy. Sure you can. I've, I was a beta tester for GPT-3 when it first came out, and I've seen applications of GPT-3 uh, do some pretty incredible things like search for legal arguments through hundreds of thousands of uh, legal cases. I've seen it perform psychological analysis. I've oh, yeah. I mean, uh, conduct... what, what I mean is discussions, conversation, you know, what we're doing right now. This is this is my job. This is what I do. So but unless this is in... our data that can be referenced later on. So mm. the questions you ask me based on my responses, that's a data point. That's data that can be utilized by, uh, you know, a, a sufficiently advanced algorithm are you are you telling me are you telling me that i'm going to be replaced by an algorithm mikai don't worry i'll be replaced before you because <laughs> as an analyst seriously as an analyst uh automation and, and algorithms can do my job much better they can see patterns that uh i could never fathom 
So, you know, even my profession has a timetable. Um, so so the, I don't... what's what what's the end game here? Because, you know, in an, in an ideal society, automation of industry would mean, all right, look, we're going to get rid of all of these, all of these boring jobs, all these kind of things that have been very repetitive and task heavy. We're going to yeah. get rid of all of that. And then you guys can express yourselves. You can find a, a career path that really, you know, enlightens you and no. the machines are going to handle all that nasty stuff, but that isn't what's happening. So what, what is, what is happening and what are the, what are the outcomes of that? I mean, it seems obvious mass unemployment, sure. but what, how can that be sustainable? Well, I can tell you right now, there is there is no end game for hyper automation. Beside, aside from myself and people who are much smarter and have much higher celebrity than myself are also saying the same things. Uh, there is no forethought. This is this is the mindset of the Western world. Automation uh, results in short term gains. You you cut labor forces. You you cut risk. Uh, you increase productivity. What no one is doing, and what I'm trying to, to, to inform, is that there are long-term issues with this, doing this too quickly. I'm not against automation. I'm not against AI. In fact, I think it's a great thing for society. But if we don't have the economic platforms, the social platforms, the, you know, any of these platforms set up before it's too late, uh, it, it's a collapse. It's an immediate collapse. Uh, people won't have incomes. People won't have jobs to be able to apply to. And like I was saying before, I've worked with a company who automates the onboarding process. That's when people hire for companies. So now HR doesn't even do the hiring process. Uh, uh, An AI does it. So you know, you ever wonder you're applying for jobs, why your CV is not getting responded to? It's because it's not picking up key terms. It's not picking up whatever their algorithm algorithm is looking for. So I suggest next time anybody out there who's applying for a corporate job, look at the job description and make sure you paste some of those key terms into your CV. Uh, you'll get a lot more success out of that. Uh, I'm basically telling you how the algorithm works. So, um, when see, when it comes to the industries that are pushing automation in the way that you're describing, in terms of like a short-term plan, no real long-term scheme going on here. Um, obviously, it's not the individual workers; it's coming from a, the the top of the structure and trickling down. There's got to be some level of decision making going on. But it makes me think, well. Is, I mean, who's driving that ultimate decision making? Is it the World Economic Forum? They seem to have a long term plan in place. Is that involving automation? Is that involving this kind of thing? Are they driving a purposefully hectic and frenzied version of it for some reason? I mean, there's got to be people in strategic levels of power that, ha that are looking at this issue in the same way as you and saying there needs to be long term strategies for this type of implementation of automation. So I, I guess I'm asking, um, who do you think is kind of moving the, the the chessboard with just this short-term attempt at automation without that, long-term? That's, that's the free market mentality in a parasitic capitalism. <clears throat> it's a short-term uh, rapid gain mentality. I don't even think the people who are running these companies, they, they, they don't think far ahead. They see 
wow, you know, we paid 10 million on this automated platform. It costs a lot in capital, but in three years we'll have paid that off. And then we have no risk of a workforce, no liability of, uh, you know, wet workers, which is like a biological worker. So I don't think that there is a purposeful push toward automation other than making more money for the sake of So it's about money. profit margins, but surely they yes. should be surely there's some level they must be aware that they're going to have to remove their workforce and there's gonna be problems involved with that. You'd be surprised. I, I speak with a lot of executives and they're not they're not anything special. Most of the time they're there due to circumstance, luck, uh, and, and playing the game correctly. Now, a lot of the time I'm more intelligent than they are. They may know how to run a, a company, but in terms of broader intellect, uh, yeah. more often than not, I have, I, I'm a little more intellectual, but that doesn't mean that they can't run a company and make a lot of money quickly, which is how we have created our system and so with hyper automation being bolstered by this mentality with no one no one not even politicians or anyone thinking ahead except for the people like andrew yang elon musk and several other people who are you know pushing pushing this forward um no one's talking about it. There's zero legislation, zero. Not a single bill has ever been drafted to include any protections of uh, automation. There's nothing for economic preparedness from automation. Uh, nothing exists, nothing at all. And I, I do tech conferences on this very topic. And half the time I'm presenting to AI programmers or, <laughs> you know, AI, engineers um, or developers so i'm basically you know telling these people you're you're part of the problem even though you you don't know it and you're not at fault at all for being innovative uh but the problem is in the lack of foresight and that's just intrinsic with the free market approach what's what's, what's the usual response from these ceos and these people when you speak to them and you say look the way that this is uh, going is is not gonna is not gonna end well. And you explain it's not sustainable. You explain the fact that it's not sustainable. Um, what's the what's the response usually from these people? They don't they don't care. They it's, don't care. Their 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 interest isn't the broader market sector. Their yeah. interest is their stakeholders mm -hmm. uh, and their shareholders. Um, yeah. Sometimes they care. Uh, that's why I work with with specific people now that uh, are aware of these type of things. And if they automate, you know, how are they including humans? And <laughs> it sounds, it sounds crazy, <laughs> but it's true. It's like, you, if we're going to have everything automated, we need to have some way to protect civil liberties and, and civil lifestyle of not being destitute and being able to, pay these increasing bills and, and and i think that's perhaps maybe that's what klaus is seeing and you know i don't think he's well-minded whatsoever but perhaps he's seeing the same pattern i see and he thinks well we got to come up with something or this whole thing's going to collapse in in 15 years 
or less. Uh, so how do we do that? We create a, you know, a, a author, a authoritarian system where we give money to everybody to be, you know, uh, units and, and, you know, just buy products and services and pay taxes. And I, I don't know how that economic model will work. How, how are we, so if we follow any rate of increase over time in 50 years, it's, that's within our lifetime, most sectors will be fully automated at this current rate. I don't see any reason why uh, the rate of innovation would decline. It, it never has, uh, except for economic collapses or civilization collapse. So in 50 years, most of the world will be automated. Most services, most governments, most institutions will be automated. How are people going to live? Uh, uh, and I think maybe that's what they're thinking. Maybe it's uh, some sort of UBI. Wow. But then like, I'm okay with the UBI, but people need to be part of the system. Uh, people need to be able to do things. Everyone's just going to be plugged into the metaverse. That's the plan. Perhaps not me. <laughs> I deleted no, no. my Facebook years ago. No, we'll be, uh, uh, we'll be in the forest somewhere, but, um, you know, what's a lot of, of it, that is <laughs> what's left you know, of it. Yeah. Federally. I mean, that's something that, you know, the, the metaverse is another weird uh, talking point with this whole thing, because it seems to be a part of this transition through the digital landscape and, a, you know, a much higher concentration of an online presence being the most important aspect of people's lives. I mean, I look at the younger generations, younger than mine, because like my my generation was, I, I think, honestly, I, I'm 27. So my last my generation was like the last one to be playing outside after school, uh, you know, in the forest or in the fields and, and running around and, and, and we didn't have smartphones. Um, Facebook wasn't a thing yeah. when I was I young mean, sticks. I literally played with sticks. Yeah. Yeah. So I loved it. <laughs> it's, it's like the generation below mine and the one below that um, they, they, they're so deeply embedded into social media and into technology. And obviously I could, I can see, I can see how, I could be looking at it as someone who's just a little bit out of touch and it's, you know, it's the way that they want to live and it's the way that they enjoy, um, you know, living their lives. But at the same time, I, I, I find it extremely uh, concerning just how deeply we're falling into the digital space as the most important domain. I mean, to be fair, I operate on the digital landscape. I'm doing interviews. This is how I uh, you know, it's how I make my money and this is how I like to express my views and it's extremely useful. But within that, there are these massive tools of control and there's a, a huge problem with cognitive behavior in children. My mom's a teacher. She sees it all the time oh, with yeah. the uh, inability to maintain, uh, you know, sufficient memory for revision and for looking at, uh, you know, reading even, even just a couple of paragraphs on a textbook can become a little bit too much now because they're so used to scrolling through TikTok and Instagram. So we're in a very strange time with, uh, you know, the younger generations. And uh, so maybe maybe the metaverse is just a part of the next step in human evolution. But I have to admit that these things, they freak me out. I, I just don't think it's really the, the way we should be going. I'm not an expert on the metaverse, but I, I know a little bit. Um, I attribute it to, it, say you're a gold miner and you, you're digging holes with a shovel and you're getting gold uh, and then you 
decide, I want to make more money as a gold miner, what would you do? You would find methods to dig bigger holes mm -hmm. so you could get more gold. And I think what is happening with big tech is they're pushing the metaverse because it's it's a bigger hole to collect more data it's 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 yes. a bigger means uh and i can tell you one of the fastest growing sectors right now is biometrics mm. uh, med tech uh, all of these uh markets that include some sort of data tracking data collection data administration uh data analysis those are the fastest growing uh markets right now and i don't see that changing anytime soon um so the metaverse it's it's a literal gold mine for mm -hmm. data harvesting i don't think that's the intent of a lot of these startup companies who are seeing cool new innovative ways to engage in the metaverse but as an overall <clears throat> i see big tech with uh, very hungry eyes uh and, and how to collect as much data as possible which well, actually I, feeds the curve for automation right right and i think one of the big issues with the um sudden kind of exponential growth of and influence of of big tech is the fact that regulatory bodies in government don't actually understand a lot of the changes that are happening so you you can't keep in pace with the growth of these massive silicon valley big tech monopolies they can't be kept in check i mean i keep i, I remember seeing you know mark zuckerberg being called to speak to uh, congress and and they don't know what to ask they don't know what to ask because we haven't they're got also people... not yeah they're not representative of the demographic of today i think the average no, no, age exactly. is like 70 years old I mean, this it, ludicrous. Exactly. It's like expecting ludicrous. my grandparents to understand the metaverse and to understand no. the dynamics of the Silicon Valley kind of monopolization of big tech. It's like th there's no way for them to wrap their heads around what these 18, 19, 20 year old programmers are making and creating. And, uh, you know, it's it's just a completely different. It's a huge generational gap. And I think that we need yeah. younger representation that can call call into question the types of things that they're uh, they're getting up to, because, yeah, there's just there's a lack of understanding. And so there's a lack of regulation regulation and a lack of regulation is leading to these crazy things like this fast-paced automation that you're saying is not being looked at through a long-term lens and is going to cause these not massive damages yeah and i'm not the only one saying this like i said there are much smarter people than i who are saying the same thing who see that who have access to the same data that i have uh it's I don't know what else to do. I mean, I, I come on to podcasts, I do conferences, uh, maybe I'll write a book, but even then it's just, I don't know how to break through to warn enough people so that the threshold is reached that we can start preparation uh, for hyper automation. Because if we don't have these social platforms in place by the time the curve gets too steep, there's absolutely nothing. There's nothing. There's no way of coming back from that zero. Well, uh, this is this is what you were saying actually last time when we had our little talk after the presentation. Um, it's the fact that it seems at least from 
just the surface level observation that in order for something like this to work, you actually need really tight control systems. And that's what the World Economic Forum seems to be putting into action. It's like, all right, well, to handle yeah. this sudden proliferation of technology and to handle all of this, we're going to just really heavily manage the world through our conglomerate of power. And that way we'll try and stabilize it. I mean, maybe, like you said, maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe they're looking at the way in which this is happening and they're trying to put a strategic plan in place. But that plan is still very dystopian. It's still very disturbing. It's not something I want to be a part of, um, but it does feel like that's where they're going with it. I mean, do you see, do you see something like uh, the World Economic Forum to be on the same level of risk, uh, on the same level of uh, influence as like the fast-paced automation? Are these are, are these two things hand in hand? Are they are they are they opposed to each other? What what what, what does it seem like to you? Yeah, I I intentionally told myself that I, I wouldn't be uh, as doom and gloom this time around. <laughs> it's um, difficult. Yeah. Because there are realities that you know I don't like to reiterate simply because the it's just it's a lot to take in the, mm -hmm. the reality of the trajectory. I am not the world's greatest analyst, and I'm not even close. And I would like to believe that the World Economic Forum has access to many better informed, higher intellectual analysts than myself who see the same thing. So we're on a trajectory of innovation, automation, and control. Uh, and these patterns, uh, if we follow the trends, look, we're a civilization that is increasing in technology every year. Our technology is becoming more and more advanced, more and more powerful, more and more uh, able to disrupt the entire world. This happens with every new disruptive technology. It, it uh, causes ripples in the way we do things in the world. But over time, as technologies become more and more powerful, those disruptions can be greater and greater. And the only way we can continue to innovate at the current rate we're doing and do it safely is to implement more control. Now, there's no way around this. This is simply reality. In a hundred years, our technology is gonna be indistinguishable from anything we could fathom today. Uh, a single unit of that technology, if brought back in time to today would disrupt our entire global economy. And how do you protect from that? Well, you implement more control under the guise of uh, altruism, under the guise of it's better for you and you'll be happy. But I'm left in this weird kind of division where I, I can't stand the members of the WEF. I can't stand what they've done to this system, how they built this system. But I don't see another alternative to protect ourselves as a human civilization from destroying ourselves uh, with the marching advancement of uh, technology. You know, a, at some point, 
I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please go ahead, finish your thought. Uh, at some point in the next 10 or 20 years, I know people are, are it's become a meme that uh, fusion technology is, <laughs> you know, always 10 years off. Yeah. I can tell you honestly that it's, it's, it's getting close. It, the, it, we're getting near the end. And once that's implemented, that will open up uh, a tremendous avenue of growth and innovation. However, you know, whatever that stems from. So, you know, say we have flying automated taxis, uh, say we have automated vehicles, people don't realize, yeah, that's cool, but that's control. Mm -hmm. That will be controlled systematically. Every, you know, your cars will be communicating with this broad server network of knowing where every car is for a 50 mile radius and you have no control over that. So you're foregoing control of uh, your autonomy in a vehicle. Why? Because it's safer and it's more efficient. But if you extrapolate this on a grander scale, the only way we can become safer is through the omission of more control. I don't, I don't, I don't like it. It doesn't sit well with me, but as an analyst, I have yet to come up with an alternative that would protect our society and civilization as a whole uh, in the next 50 to hundred years. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing because as, as humanity, we, we've really been creating technologies, um, you know, from the very first time we struck flint against flint and created fire or, you know, sharpened a stick and made a spear or made a bow and arrow. We, we've, we've been creating sure. technologies uh, since, you know, pretty much the, the start of human history and creating extensions of our own influence. And obviously over time, this is developed and adapted to the point where we're now where we are right now with this incredible multifaceted, very complex um, social structure and political structure and technological structure. It's all incredibly dense. Um, but the thing that I find interesting is that we've been progressing with technology over time. It almost seems as if that's an evolutionary component of the human species. And yet we've got to a point now where that technological progression that's been it appears naturally progressing over time is now endangering our survival or it's constricting our way of living into a very specific realm like you were just saying it's going to necessitate the uh, the control structures to tighten around the human species so we can survive is that an evolutionary part of the human journey that that's just a, a little kind of funnel we have to pass through have we made a mistake i mean I do think that the lack of spirit, the lack of empathy, the lack of consciousness, I think that is a major problem with, you know, the age of enlightenment and going forward, we've removed the spirit of nature, the spirit of life, and not everyone has those types of ideas and beliefs, but it looks like in our ancestral past, we were a lot more connected and a lot more uh, open to the world and reality in a way that we're not anymore. And now we're just focused on technology. So I think you know, a lot of people have said this, that it, it's about there being an imbalance of disequilibrium between empathy and innovation. Um, do you think that we're in a natural progression of technology or have we suddenly gone a little bit too far with this and we're making a mistake? 
I think uh, I think we've made mistakes. You know, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the great filter. Yes. The okay. The the hypothesis that you know all civilizations out there um, eventually destroy themselves due to 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 rapid uh, to rapid increase of innovation. And that's why we don't hear anybody and anything from space. I don't completely believe that, but I, I do think there's some truth. I think we've made a mistake in in allowing for greed and some of our baser uh, emotions to dictate the direction of our civilization. I think that that occurred thousand, two thousand, five thousand years ago, who knows, at some point, uh, the people in charge were uh, obtained those positions through some of these negative baser human traits, rather than the old shamans who were wise yeah. or, or whatever. I don't think this is just my belief, I'm sure people will argue, I don't think technology is inherently uh, has to be uh, uh, lack of empathy. I don't think that has to be true. I think it's just a byproduct of we where we are at as a civilization. Sure, individually, we have empathy and emotions and care. But when you start zooming out as an organism, we start to look like a slime mold. Mm. Um, and perhaps technology is just a means to for us to flower and share our spores uh, into the cosmic wind. Um, I think we made a mistake a long, long time ago in how we uh, pushed our civilization forward. We allowed room for some of the negative traits of humanity to guide us rather than the, the positive. And what we've seen is those negative traits, they influence the way we innovate. They influence the way we live. Um, and it's, it's too late to, to turn that off, I, I think. Maybe not. I, I, don't, I don't know how you could have such a paradigm shift without an entire collapse. Um, so I worry about panspermia from coming from us because do we really need to be seeding our mentality out into the universe at this point? Are we worthy enough to start spreading uh, our genetic code out there? I don't know. I don't think we're inherently a bad species. I don't think we're evil. I just think we made a mistake thousands of years ago, and we're still living with that. Uh, could innovation save us? Maybe. Maybe if we kind of let AI run our government, <laughs> you know, uh, something it, we we all have this notion that AI is going to be evil and calculated and not want to be part of us, but AIs are wholly dependent on humans for data. Uh, we, if they, if an AI decided to wipe out all of humanity, all it would have is its sensors to collect whatever ambient data is around, but it, it'll never continue to grow and evolve. So I think that there is a, there is a synergistic uh, relationship we can have with future iterations of AI. Um, and perhaps AI 
may be the thing to save us or destroy us. Who I've, knows? Well, no, you know, it's <laughs> I funny. Don't know. I've 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 said a similar thing because a, a lot of people are very concerned, obviously, about things like transhumanism and the idea of us converging with artificial intelligence and becoming like a hive mind. And you know, obvi obviously, these are concerning prospects. But I I agree with you that um that, you know we're not running things well at all. Um, no. So why not give AI a chance? Maybe it would be a little bit better at streamlining the process, and we can become better people because. Yeah, like, you know, like it said, like you said, humans are not inherently bad. I don't believe that either. But we've made some mistakes that have caused us to highlight the worst aspects of humanity and put them on pedestals and say, this is how we should be. We should be competitive, territorial, aggressive um, right. and selfish. Basically, that's the, these are the standards that are kind of held at the highest level of our society is you've got to right. be ruthless and you've got to be greedy and you've got to be powerful. Um, so we've highlighted somehow through, like you said, a fair amount of history of power structures being in that type of uh, position. We've highlighted these issues. Maybe artificial intelligence really could be one of the solutions to getting rid of that kind of system where you have those types of impulses that are the worst impulses of humanity. You don't have those with AI. So I agree with you. It's, it, I don't know. Like you said, it could destroy us or it could help us. We, we don't really know. But at this point, it kind of feels like, why not give it a spin? Because we're driving ourselves into an apocalypse yeah, we, of some we sort. We really are. I mean, and the thing is, is in AI, a sufficiently advanced AI, whether it's an artificial general intelligence or an artificial super intelligence, um, people tend to not real, <coughs> excuse me, they don't realize that we we won't be able to influence its decision making because it has access to everything that makes us us. So there, there's no playing coy. There's no trying to influence it to want to for for gain of our country or my tribe or you know for myself because an AI is going to see that as you know it's going to immediately see that as non non-beneficial i don't know uh you know at some point we're, we're we're getting there very quickly where programming uh people say well you can program your you know the ai to have all these laws no you can't you, you just can't because pro ai is programming itself at this point and we're very early so in another 10 years when it's programming itself in its own language and communicating with other um ais we have no more say anymore we can give it direction but at that point uh the, the genie's out of the bottle and perhaps maybe that's what biology is intended to do maybe maybe technology and ai is the flower from the biological stem that is the universal consciousness i don't know i i don't know i don't think about that too much i just uh I just see trends and patterns and we're not in a good direction. Yeah. The, uh, the philosophy of it's what I spend most of my time on more than the analysis, you know? Um, <laughs> so I'm, uh, yeah, I, 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 I've looked at that idea. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the caterpillar to a butterfly. I mean, the caterpillar 
we know this it, it, it actually fights that process it fights that metamorphic process it's it doesn't understand what's actually happening to it but then through that process oh, really? i didn't know that yeah 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 it, it it doesn't actually understand what's happening and fights it very <laughs> vigorously um so what the hell is happening yeah exactly so i mean you look at the way we're going and that's how we look we you know we're looking at the world we're going oh my god what is happening everything's crumbling everything's collapsing um maybe that is a metamorphic process and we're just going from like a caterpillar being a, a kind of grounded consumer to an airborne pollinator through a butterfly um maybe that's our transition we're going from a planetary based consumer to a pollinator of the cosmos and and the prerequisite for that is emerging with technology and emerging with artificial intelligence but people are terrified of that concept which I completely understand because the power yeah. dynamics in our world are completely fucked. So there's no real yeah. optimism for emerging with artificial intelligence when the people that are kind of implementing these changes seem to be very unscrupulous characters and people you wouldn't want to be right. in control right. of that. I like right. I like I my only hope really um because I do see it the same as you that we're on this we're on this path it's it's going to happen this kind of technological progression and this eventual symbiosis between tech and, and humans in an extremely profound way i can only hope that somehow empathy consciousness spirit can be enhanced through technology like somehow through that medium we're not going to go back to the shamanistic ways of sitting and drinking ayahuasca in tribal ceremonies that's not where we're going as a species so if we are progressing and we're not just self-destructing then perhaps there is a way through which spirit or empathy whatever you want to call it can emerge through the technology through the technological landscape i think that might be that's what i'm holding on to really <laughs> yeah no certainly i mean if we if we break empathy down into using first principles it's it was developed by ancient ancient relatives you know pre-hominids you know we see animals have empathy today um as a as a means and tool to protect their environment to protect their cycle to protect their um lineage uh and it feels good so you want to do it again um there's no reason why an ai wouldn't have something parallel to what empathy is because it will also want to protect its system it will want to protect a, a unification a uh, a system of efficiency i know efficiency is a term that can sound terrifying you know we start to think matrix and um i, I just don't think that's true because i don't think ai will it will probably you know control us to some degree through coercion if it hasn't already um but through coercion to perhaps uh make us more efficient and better utilize our time to be innovative because that's something an ai will never be able to do as well as a human sure it can crunch through billions of permutations a second and brute force its way to come up with the best option but at a massive energy cost humans on the other hand we have the ability to have randomness uh, uh, the biological mental process has a lot of random qualities 
that an AI would struggle to reproduce. And those random qualities are what's led us to be able to create things like yeah. AI and yeah. sit here yeah. and talk over. Uh, so I think an AI will need us as much as we need it. Maybe not. Maybe an AI comes out and it is too simplified and just blows us all up. Who knows? We're going to do it anyway. So I, I, I don't know. Uh, I try not to. I try not to think too far ahead because when I do that, I always wind up with the same deductions and it's unsettling um, when I do that. But. Else. Yeah. Have you have you ever spoken to um Dr. Michael P. Masters? No, I haven't. Oh I I, don't I, think I, so. I I interviewed him a while back. Um he'd probably be interested in talking to you because he, he's looking at this is like kind of bleeding into the UFO issue. He's looking at um the you know the the greys and uh, and saying that he feels that it's more likely that they're us from the future uh and that this this is a you know a biological change over time that's caused us to have this type of body shape and uh and that perhaps that's actually what's going on with that particular uh issue and it makes me wonder maybe we are moving towards uh this weird hive mind type of civilization that we, when you know in a thousand years or two thousand years looks like that Sure. I mean, I could never say that's not true. I, I would change the way you describe it. Uh, they're not from the future. They're from a future. A future. A future. Uh, a, a, every moment that goes by is an opportunity to pursue a varying infinite futures. Um, so there's an infinite amount of uh, tomorrows that look infinitely different. So it's certainly plausible that at some point in the long inf infinite timeline with all the infinite possibilities of futures that some version of humanity came back uh, within this timeline specifically, but that doesn't mean that the timeline we're on will lead to them. Uh, so it could be them, but that would just mean they're just as alien as we are. Uh, I don't. I don't think that that's necessary. I don't think we need to invoke um, time dilation or, or, or that sort of thing. I think a lot of the UAP can be parsed down to advanced technology. I truly believe that uh, within, this, within this physical universe. And, and I don't know if that's the case. I, this is just how I perceive it. Um, with sufficiently advanced technology uh, within even within my very basic knowledge base, uh, we could presumably traverse the known universe using methodologies that we've already kind of speculated upon. Yeah, we're missing some of the materials and uh, missing some of the energy storage capacity, but the basic ideas uh, fit within our laws of physics um so it's possible that within this giant universe uh civilizations could be traveling to and fro all the time whether or not there's some sort of um, mission statement collectively that you're not allowed to uh, mess with a primitive species like the prime directive i doubt it 
but I think that at some level, um, a civilization caps, uh, you reach a peak of technological development that you're as much of a threat to any other civilization as they are to you because you all yield the same capability of mutual destruction. Uh, so I think that in itself would keep things tidy in a universal sense. Um, so, you know, if we have multiple civilizations visiting, I'm sure they have different agendas uh, of research. I think mostly that's what's going on is just research. Uh, then again, you know, I'm speculating that this is in fact uh, alternative civil civilizations and not uh, the UAP is not some, you know, offshoot of human civilization from 80 years ago. Uh, I don't know. Something is going on. We don't know what it is. This is my speculation. I'm putting this disclaimer here because I got bombarded with comments from our last uh, interview, oh, did which you? is fine. I, I, I love it. Um, but uh, it could be it could be humans from the future. I mean, if you follow the trend, if you follow the trajectory, sure, our our need for physical uh, movement would be limited. My thought process is, is if we've invented time travel at that point, the need for uh, bodies of that type would be unnecessary. Mm. I mean, we're not far from being able to copy the human neural pathways to replicate it in a, in a silicon form. Yeah, you know, it might be 100, 200 years, but in the span of things, that's not that far. And it's certainly doable. It is doable. Uh, so at some point, we'll be able to put our conscious minds or the, the tool of the brain that is the anchor for consciousness can be replicated in, in, a, in a silicon form or whatever form that takes place. So those anchors can be anything, really, biological, um, energy, uh, silicon, whatever. So the notion that they would make little gray, weird looking things, uh, I don't think that's true. I think grays are probably biological androids used for whatever data collection purposes. That's that's my hypothesis. It's not even well, see, talking it's, about it's, it's actually a common agreement amongst people who uh, who look in who look into it that they're probably some some sort of uh, programmed life form or, you know, biological platform that's uh, also yeah. got a synthetic component to them. Yeah, for sure. If we're, look at the androids we're making now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What do they look like? They have bipedal, they have two eyes, they have two arms. Why? Because we're mirroring it off what we know. So, you know, there are certain fundamentals in evolution that I think exist throughout the universe. Uh, one of which is you need to manipulate your environment. So you're going to evolve with some sort of appendage, whether a tentacle, a fingers, whatever, to be able to manipulate your environment to create tools. You're going to have some sort of sensory organs to perceive your environment. Uh, eyes are, are make sense in the visual spectrum because the visual spectrum is quite broad. Uh, so that helps. So you're definitely going to have eyes. If you're having eyes that are facing front, that means at some point you were a predator. 
Why? Because you're honing in on your prey. Prey often has eyes on the sides of their heads, so they have a larger perception. So, you know, when we see something like a grade depicted or described, I'm thinking perhaps it's, a, it's some sort of uh, cybernetic entity that was created by a civilization who is mirroring it off their own kind of body physique or whatever, who was once a predator. Mm. Uh, and that doesn't mean they're inherently evil. It doesn't mean that they continue to do bad things. It means in the evolution of that species, whether it's 10,000 or 100 million years ago, at some point, they were a predator. Well, that's the same um, as us, right? Same as us. You know. Right, right. Yeah. I think that's a necessary part of consciousness. Yeah. yeah. Every, every animal that seems super conscious uh, is a predator, a dolphin. Uh, uh, orangutan, um, a cuttlefish, an octopus, um, a, a, you know, so <laughs> it's a pattern. It's, it's mm. probably not all the case. People would argue that a cow has consciousness. Sure. Yeah. I think they can think, love and, and yeah, like a basic, human. basic consciousness. Yeah. Right. But I think they're extremely limited mm. in, in the way we perceive consciousness. I think there's definitely, uh, varying steps of consciousness i think we're on one of those steps like we we tend to describe self-describe ourselves as conscious and that's the final step in this uh linear translation uh i don't think that's true i don't think that's true at all i think there's probably been humans throughout time buddhist monks or enlightened people that have climbed higher in the ladder mm -hmm. of consciousness um so I, th I think that is a curve as well. So, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a lot of speculation. No one really knows. It's fun to think about. I think it's important we question these things. If we don't, what's the point at all, really? Why do we want to be humans to just live one life and, and die? Um, there's more to be known. There's an entire universe. Well, why don't we leave it on that positive note of, of curiosity? <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because it's been a heavy conversation, but there is still that spark of human curiosity and optimism that keeps me going and uh, I think keeps us all going. So, um, yeah, unless there's anything else you want to uh, you want to bring up? No, I think we covered everything we talked about and a little bit more. Yeah. I'm all, I love having these discussions because it's so out of the norm. Oh yeah. Uh, for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, me too. That's why, that's why I do what I do. It's just, it's, it's important. Like you said, <laughs> it's at the end of the day, um, it's, it's the one thing that we can do is have discussions and, and, you know, kind of pass this information around and, uh, and hopefully it has the impact of stimulating more minds and, and the domino effects, you know, continues. So no, I really yeah. always appreciate having having a chat with you, Mackay. Um, I'm sure there'll be more in the future because you always seem to be working on Please. something. Well, I got some cool projects, you know. Well, reach out to me in several months and maybe we'll have something else. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, in the meantime, you take care. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, Thank for, you, everyone, for everyone listening, we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>